Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. Not too long ago, I started watching a TV show, and I got about three episodes into it, and it kind of uh, hooked me, right? Uh, I, I watched the three episodes, and by the third episode, I realized that it was a sample, a sample show. They were actually hooking you on the show, and then when you were done watching the sample, you needed to subscribe to a, a streaming service, a, a, a network streaming service, in order to watch the rest of the show. Well, I'm not going to do that. I'm already paying too much money for television as it is, and so I don't want to subscribe to another streaming service. And so I just sort of bailed on the show. Several months later, I uh, noticed that the network that that show's on was added to the streaming service that I already, I already pay for, right? So I can pick up the show again, and I started watching it. So I'd watched three episodes, so I started to watch the fourth episode, and as I'm watching this episode, it took me no time at all to realize I have no idea what's going on in the show anymore. I had completely forgotten uh, the last three episodes. So I needed sort of a review, right? I needed to go back and do a review. Well, I think that same thing happens in church world as well. I think that that happens in the Bible as well. We look at the Bible and we'll pick out these episodes, we'll pick out these different things, and we will then try to struggle to put them all together and to remember how is this flow going? So if you would allow me, what I want to do this morning is to just simply go through um, some of the story, some of the Bible story, and see kind of where it leads and, and uh, catch us all up to date, right? So it starts with creation. God speaks and all things are formed. In that creation, Adam and Eve, as representatives of all of creation— but in particular humanity, they rebel against God. They fight against God, and as such, they fall. The rest of the Bible and all of human history is God redeeming or reconciling the mission, his plan of reconciling his family back to himself. And he does that through relationships, through speaking and forming a plan. This starts sort of to really take shape when he tells this man named Abram and his wife Sarai to leave a land where they know and to go to another land. And from that one group of people, from those two people, he forms a family. That family grows into a huge family, a big group of people. And it's through this people and through that family that God was going to redeem, his, or redeem the humanity back to himself. That family grows into a huge group of people, and that huge group of people ends up in, in slavery in Egypt. And through Moses, God leads those people out. They're still just a family, still a big group of people, and then he gives them a law and a leader and a land. When you have a law and a leader and a land, you're no longer just a big group of people. You are now a nation, a distinct people group. And through that, he, in that land, they begin to look around at all the other people with laws and leaders and lands. And, and they say, they have kings. We want a king. And so God gives them what they want, gives them a king. That didn't turn out real well, but the next one did pretty good. His name was David, and he uh, became sort of a regional force there. But his children and their children didn't lead as well as David did. 
The nation of Israel becomes split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And they begin to and continue to rebel against God. They start worshiping the created things instead of the creator. And so God allows two nations in particular, the Assyrians, that's uh, where Nineveh was, the Assyrians and the Babylonians to conquer the northern and then the southern kingdom. And what these people would do, the Babylonians in particular, but the Assyrians were pretty, pretty brutal as well. They would go into a, a, a kingdom that they conquered, knock everything over, right? Knock all the buildings over, take the brightest and the smartest and all of the different uh, disciplines and regions. So it's like economics or farming or agriculture or, or religion. Take the best and the brightest and take them back to their capital. Then they would take some people from another nation that they've conquered and put those in this nation that they've conquered. If you're an evil genius, this is a pretty genius plan. Because what happens is the smartest go over and are leading in your nation. But in that nation that you conquered, these people are not the best and the smartest and the brightest. And they're around these other people that they don't trust. And so there's not really enough to build up and to rise up a rebellion. All right? So that's what happens. And in that, at that time, hundreds of years before Jesus is born, God calls certain men to stand up and to speak his message to the people. And we call those people prophets. Now it's important to keep in your mind that prophets are not their job, all right? They don't have a business card that says Ezekiel, prophet of the Lord, right? Ezekiel was a priest. Other ones were farmers. Some of them were shepherds and they had different sort of roles that they played. But they all spoke what God said. Now, where we get really hung up is that we get all confused about the way that they say it. They say in these different sort of words. Daniel does this. Ezekiel does this. Jeremiah does this. When they paint these illustrations, Ezekiel and Daniel are both taken over to Babylon. Jeremiah is left. And so Jeremiah is going to speak to these people. Ezekiel and Daniel speak over here. And like I said, we get sort of hung up in the words. There's a lot of, for lack of a better word, some strange stuff that happens in these prophetic literature books, right? Let me just read a little bit to you. Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 4 says, I looked and there was a whirlwind coming from the north, a huge cloud with fire flashing back and forth and brilliant light all around it. In the center of the fire, there was a gleam like amber. The likeness of four living creatures came from it. And this was their appearance. They looked like something like a human. But each of them had four faces and four wings. That uh, is certainly some weird stuff, right? When you start thinking that, and listen, it gets weirder as you're reading the rest of Ezekiel. There's all kinds of wheels and fire and movements and all sorts of things that are hard for us to wrap our brains around. And so what I want to do is just give you a couple of keys, a couple of things in which you can understand that. First of all, Ancient prophets are describing what they see in the vocabulary that they have, all right? It's, it's their words. They're just describing something and they're trying to describe it written down. Furthermore, they're using the vocabulary that they have and the language that they speak in. Ezekiel thought and wrote and spoke Hebrew. You don't think and write and speak Hebrew. So there's going to be some communication barriers there. 
It's not literal, all right? He literally sees something, but when he says things like their appearance was like this, or it had the likeness of, it is his best way to describe what is going on. Literally seeing something, but describing it figuratively and with illustration. So he's painting a picture. And like any painting, the idea is not necessarily to communicate concrete thoughts like words, but instead to, con- to communicate emotion or topic or theme. That's what the Old Testament prophets and New Testament, when you get to Revelation, when John writes, there is this theme or this picture. So in Ezekiel chapter 1, 4 and on, he is communicating the greatness or the glory or the beauty of God. And that's not something that you can just easily describe, right? So that's why it feels so different for us. That's why it looks so strange for us. Um, ironically, out of all the Sundays ever, I was going to depend on my, my slides the most, all right? And, uh, and it died. What I was going to do at this point, and I think I can describe this to you, is do a thought experiment. Like if you stumbled upon an animal, everybody likes animals, right? If you stumbled upon an animal, but you did not know the name of it, what would you call it? What would you call this animal? Like, so I had a couple of slides here. There was a picture of a deer, and um, that's a snow tree dog, all right? That's just what you would call it if you saw a deer out in the snow, right? It's like a snow tree dog. Or a snake would be a nope rope, all right? And, and, uh, and a penguin would be a formal chicken. And um, the, the, the final one was an alligator. An alligator, you know, they're big and they're, they're that's, uh, that's called an American murder log, all right? And so if you did not know and you just stumbled upon these things, you'd be like, oh, that's an American murder log, you know? It's just the way that you would describe it. You wouldn't be wrong. That's just the words that you used. That's exactly what happens in Ezekiel, all right? When we read this stuff, he's not wrong. He's literally describing what he saw, the best way that he can describe it with human vernacular, all right? So that's going to be a lot of what's going on. And as we look at Ezekiel today, we're going to start in what's called Ezekiel's calling. And a lot of us want to experience a calling from God. It's where God calls us and tells us to do something. So as we look at that, what I want to say very clearly on this is this. Ezekiel is an outlier. So is Isaiah. So is Moses. Their experience where God speaks through a burning bush or these very visual illustrations, they do happen. God does do that. I believe, I truly believe I heard God say the word preach to me when I was 14. I heard him say that. But a lot of times that's not the norm. But that does not mean that you do not have a calling. This this was shared with me one time and it's very helpful. Your calling is when you take your interest, what you're interested in, What you're gifted in by God, so speaking or art or administration, something like that, your giftings from God, your interest, your natural interest, and your opportunities. What can you do, all right? I might be interested in um, playing for the NBA, but I have no opportunity to play for the NBA for several reasons, all right? And so I'm not called to play in the NBA, right? But when you overlay those things, that middle part there, when you use that to share the message of Jesus with other people for the good of others and the glory of God, you are living your calling, all right? So we're gonna look at Ezekiel's amazing calling, but I don't want you to walk away and wait for something to catch on fire, all right? 
and not obey your calling. Let's pray together and we'll look at Ezekiel chapter 3. God, thank you for your words and thank you for the calling that we see in Ezekiel's life. God, we pray that we are encouraged and strengthened by this. We pray that in this, we would be challenged to live out the way that you would call us to live. God, I pray that we are not confused by the imagery, but we would very clearly hear you say, like you said to your people, to go and to speak the message. We pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. So Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 10 and 11 are going to be our key verse. It says, Next, he said to me, Son of man, listen carefully to all my words that I speak to you and take them to heart. Go to your people, the exiles, and speak to them. Tell them this is what the Lord God says, whether they listen or refuse to listen. First of all, God calls him the son of man. 93 times in Ezekiel, God refers to Ezekiel as the son of man. The son of man is the, it literally in Hebrew, it is son of Adam. So if you've ever watched uh, or read, um, it is a book, Narnia, then there is uh, this constant reference to the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve. It is the exact same phrase, okay? And the emphasis there is the created order, that God is the creator and Ezekiel is created. Therefore, the creator has authority, has, has reason to dictate what the creation will do, to direct it, to bless it, to, to um, guide it, and to expect certain realities from it. When God says, son of man, he is reminding him that he is created for a purpose and that whatever God is going to call Ezekiel to do in the next couple of passages, Ezekiel is made, he is perfectly equipped and able to carry out. And the same thing is for you as well. Anytime God calls you to do something, know this, God knows your abilities. He is completely aware of your shortcomings. He is absolutely familiar with what you are able to do. God is not calling you to do something to jack with you. God is calling you to do something to make a difference. And when he calls you to do something, he knows that you can do it. Furthermore, when we ponder or when we think on or when we meditate on this reality that the creator has called me the creation to do something, then we have to realize that if I'm going to do a God-like thing, if I'm gonna do what God has asked me to do and participate in God's plan, I'm going to need God's help. I'm going to need his spirit. And God has given us that. In chapter 2, verse 2 of Ezekiel, he says, As he spoke to me, the spirit entered me and set me on my feet. And I listened to the one who was speaking to me. It is God's spirit who enables Ezekiel to hear, obey, and to speak God's word. It's interesting. When you get to the New Testament, do you know who else was called son of man? Regularly. Jesus referred to himself as the son of man. Repeatedly, even at his trial, as they are accusing him of all sorts of evil things, Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. He does that in order to relate to us, in order to say that he is fully human. And it is also clear in the New Testament that it is God, by God's spirit that Jesus walked on this earth uh, plainly, that he performed his miracles, that he purely did what God called him to do. So here's the encouraging part to us. That it is the same God who has created us, who has called us. It is the same spirit that indwells us when we trust him. And it is the same uh, spirit that enables us to accomplish what it is that God called us to do. Listen, it is not a problem that we are created, that we are not all powerful. 
That we are not all knowing. The problem occurs when we forget that and we pretend like we have all of the power in our hands. I read once that a guy said, 90% of getting household improvement tasks done well is having the right tool. And that's true. I firmly believe that if there is any project at the house, I need a new tool for it. And I should go buy a new tool for that because I will get it done better if I have one new tool. If you're going to do something, you need to be resourced to do it. Well, God has called you to do something. And he gave you the spirit and his word. And that is all you need. And that's all you're going to need. All right. So he has equipped us with the right tool. So God created and enabled and called Ezekiel to do something and empowered him to do that. But what does he want him to do? Go. He wants him to go. You look back at verse 10. He says, Ezekiel, son of man, go. Listen to everything I'm telling you and go. Six times in this chapter, God tells Ezekiel that he is either going or I am sending you. God is a sending God. It is one of the keys to understanding what the Bible is all about. If you just look through the Bible and look at all the times that God sends somebody, then it's amazing to us that we act as if we are not sent. God sent Abram to a land he did not yet know. He sent Jacob back to his family that he was fighting with. He sent Joseph ahead to Egypt to not only protect his family, but to protect all of the region. He sent Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go. Joshua to Jericho. Ruth was sent to the field to work. Samuel to David to call David. David was sent to battle. Nathan was sent to David to tell him that he had messed up. Jonah was sent to Nineveh. Esther was sent to the king. The prophets were sent to the people. John the Baptist was sent ahead of Jesus. And Jesus sent his disciples out to preach and to perform miracles. Jesus was sent to this earth. Jesus was sent to Calvary. Paul was sent to the people that are not not Jews, in order for you and I to ultimately hear the gospel message. God is a sending God. It's what he does. He sends people. And God sent Ezekiel to a place and to a people, and it was about other people. We need to really remember this, that once you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, once you trust Jesus as your Savior, you are sent on a mission. You need to fight the urge to spend every dime and breath and thought and moment of your life on yourself and realize that God has empowered you and created you and equipped you to go to a people, to go and do something. Have you ever tried to send a child to bed? Anybody ever tried to do that? And think about the language that we use when that time comes. All right, it's 8.30, go to bed. You realize we want them to go to sleep, not really go to bed. I mean, that's kind of a part of it. But we want them to go to bed and then go to sleep. But we don't say, it's 8.30, go to sleep. Because then that'll just turn into a whole like, well, you said to sleep right here. You know, that sort of thing. And so go to bed. Every time I send my children to bed, I'm like, it's 8.30, time to go to bed. It's 8 o'clock, go to bed. All of a sudden, they have to go to the restroom. They need a drink. They need to plug in their phone. They lost the dog. You know, something like that, that they need to take care of in this exact moment. And you get really frustrated. I get frustrated as a parent. I told you to go to bed. I told you to go. Don't worry about all these other silly things. Go do what I told you to do. You see how God has to be frustrated with us? He says, go do what I told you to do. I will, I will, I will. I'm just, I'm just building a career real, real quick. Yeah. Go do what I told you to do. I, I would, God, but I'm just really worried about the geopolitical situation going on right now. It's like, I told you, like, I mean, think about that. 
If you're eight-year-old, you're like, hey, go to bed. Listen, I really want to talk about the problems in the Middle East real quick. Could you explain some of that to me? Just some major characters. Feel free to elaborate. That's what we do. That's what you are doing. That is what we do when God told us to go. So what does he want us to go? Where does he want us to go? And to whom does he want us to go? Let's not go to bed. Ezekiel in there in verse 11 says, God says, go to your people. Go to your people. Now remember, Ezekiel is not a prophet by trade. He's a priest. And at this point, he's 30. He just turned 30. And for priests, all of a sudden, you're a real boy when you're 30, all right? You're a real priest. Before that, you're an apprentice. And now you're a real priest. What I'm trying to point out here is that a priest of the Jews would know the Jews. They would know the culture, the history, the experience. They would know the language, all of those sort of things. God did not call Ezekiel to some foreign land. He was in a foreign land, but he didn't call him to speak to those people. In fact, that's Daniel's calling. He called him to speak to his people, to share the gospel with his people, to share the good news with his people. In fact, he says in verse 5, I'm not sending you to a people you don't understand their language. In 6 and 7 and 9 and 11, God reiterates that his people are hard-headed. They're hard-hearted and they won't listen to you. They're probably not going to listen. This is what God says to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, I created you for a purpose. Go and tell your hard-headed people that will not listen to you my message. So the good news is you don't have to go very far. The bad news is they're going to be really hard to reach. I think some of us have this issue with chasing after God's plan in our lives because we believe we're going to have to give up all of the things that we love in order to go and obey God. So you like this region. That's awesome. You like these sports teams and these restaurants. You like this place. You sort of like it even deeper than you know when you start unpacking culture and those sort of things. And you feel like if I really get serious about following God, he's going to make me go off somewhere where I don't know the language and those sort of things. And I'm going to have to give up things that I love. And God does do that. Remember, Daniel, God does do that. But I believe for all of us, God is not going to send you across the globe if you will not go across the streets. That you are supposed to be sharing the gospel with the people that are there. You are supposed to be using those restaurants and sports teams and culture and the way that you just understand the people that are around you in order to share the gospel, the good news with those people. That's what you are supposed to be doing. So Ezekiel, you were created with a beautiful purpose. I want you to go to your people and do what? He says this in verse 11. This is what the Lord says. I want you to go and tell them this is what the Lord says. Ezekiel is not told to go and entertain his people. He's not told to go and make everyone happy. And believe me, I can tell you from experience, if you stand up and tell people this is what God says, some of them will not be happy with that. They just will not. But he was supposed to go and to share the message. What is that message? Well, for all of the prophets, it really boils down to two things. You have messed up and God is mad at you and he should be mad at you. But if you will turn back to God, listen to him, repent and believe in him, then he is happy, joyful to forgive you and to reconcile you and to redeem you. That's the two-part message. You have messed up, but he will forgive you. That's what Ezekiel was supposed to be sharing to these people. But Ezekiel's 30, remember? I told y'all he's 30. And so there's this temptation, right? When you're young to uh, 
finally be here, all right? You're like, I'm here, let me fix everything. And that's sort of the temptation for young people, am I right? Have you ever met anybody that is like still what we call wet behind the ears, but they know everything? They have figured it all out. That's the temptation when you're young. But Ezekiel is not called to show up and to tell everybody what's going on. Furthermore, have you ever met anybody that's old and they feel like they have it all figured out and they're going to tell you exactly how things should go? Here's the problem. We are all tempted We are all tempted to share what it is that we think we have figured out. But God didn't call Ezekiel to go and share what he figured out. God called Ezekiel to go and tell them what God says. When's the last time you were in a situation, some sort of problem, somebody comes up to you and shares something that's on their heart and you said, this is what the Bible says. Or you said, let's let's go see what the Bible says. Let's go see what God says about the situation. Instead, we tend to default into, well, let me tell you this. Or here's what I think. Or here's what my experience has told me. And look, your experience and what your mama taught you and all that's great. And you should listen to that sort of stuff. But you should also bring to bear what the Word of God says on every single situation. You weren't called and people don't need your opinion. They need the Bible. And so Ezekiel is called to go do this. This is so alleviating. I don't have to share my wisdom. I don't have to share my perspective. I don't even have to figure all that out. I just need to know what it is that God says. So the message was specific to a people and to a time and to a context. They had rebelled against God. These are real people that had really rebelled against God. Started worshiping statues. And God allowed them to be captured and taken to a foreign land. God allowed that. And then to those people, Ezekiel says, if you repent and turn back, he will forgive you. That's the very specific message that Ezekiel had for these people. But listen to me. This is the exact same message that God has been trying to get through your hard head and your hard heart for your whole life. You have rebelled against God. You have worshipped other things. Comfort and money and career and influence and power. You have leveraged your whole life toward the created instead of the creator. And I have been sent to tell you that if you will turn and believe, if you will trust God, if you will tear down your little kingdom and lay your crown at the feet of Jesus, oh man, he is so happy to forgive you and to accept you and to reconcile you. That's the good message that Ezekiel was supposed to be delivering to his people. That's the same message that I am telling you. Turn back to God. It's the exact same message. So it's just a funny thing. This is an amazing thing to me. We read Ezekiel and sometimes, and I'll be honest with you, Ezekiel, particularly towards the end, Revelation and Romans for different reasons are books I don't want to preach. I don't want to preach it because there's all kinds of like imagery and people start asking me questions about horsemen and stuff. And I don't know, my answer to Revelation is I'll tell you once it happens and we'll see and then I'll tell you how it all went. All right, so I don't know this stuff. It's hard. But when we look back at Ezekiel and we look at all this stuff that's going on right under the surface, right there, it's just this young man who's in a country that he feels like an outsider. Like you and I do. Like we live in a world where we look around and we're like, this is not right. None of this is not how this works. This is not how any of this works. That's, that's how we're feeling. And we're looking at this strange place. And we know that this world as it is, is not our home, but that God is remaking it into our home. And yet in all of that chaotic noise, in all of that debilitating darkness is this message of hope. And it turns out that we were sent to share that message. 
Isn't that one of the most beautiful parts, the imagery of the Christmas story? That in the dead of night, a baby is born and hope springs eternal. That's what Ezekiel was doing. That's what Jesus was doing. That's what we are invited to do. So let me ask you this question. Who are your people? Who are your people? God said, Ezekiel, go to your people. And so I'm asking you, who are your people? For you, some of you, it's like uh, uh, your, your neighborhood. For some of you, you are, um, you've got a dorm. You've got classmates. You've got a university campus. You've got retirees that you all hang out with, that you go to Bob's Grill and have breakfast, those sort of things. You are in your people. For some of you, it's your, like your bago group or your motorcycle club. We all have these people. And you speak their language. You know their culture, their values, their history. You know all about that stuff. And God has called you, encouraged you, sending you to share that message to people, your people. You know, right before Jesus left, he told his disciples. You remember what he said? He said, go. Go. And then he told his disciples, who were all Jews, to go to Jerusalem. Which is where they're from. He says, go and tell your people about Jesus. And it's the exact same message for all of us is to go and tell people about Jesus. I had another slide that I would be showing you right now. All right, so it just popped up there. This slide shows you two things. That's exactly the slide that I needed. Y'all give Bailey a hand. He's the coolest guy. He really is the coolest guy. And so this is part of what I want to share with you. I just want to lay this out here as a real thing, like a not just now, but forever type of thing. I have a dream, all right? And I know, like, I almost have a doctor, so I could be Dr. King telling you that, but right now, I just, I have a dream, all right? I have a dream in which we would, every year, send 100 college students to what's called GenSend. We talked last week about our network of churches and what they do. And this part up here is Jensen. If you go to jensen.org. In fact, I put this on my Instagram and Facebook stories if you don't catch it right now. But jensen.org. And what it is, is it's a six to eight week trip that you could take in the summer. They also have spring break options. And you go to one of these cities, right? You go to St. Louis or Edmonton or Vancouver. You can go to Montreal or New York or Washington. You go to one of these cities for six or eight weeks. And the six week trips cost 600 bucks. And the eight week trips cost... $800. When you go there, you'll get swag. You get like t-shirts and stuff like that. But you also work with all of these missionaries, our church planners that are over there. Part of our network, the kind of missionaries and church planners that we have trained and that you are already supporting. You already support these church plants. And so we'll send all these college students and they'll go and help for six or eight weeks. And it's amazing to me. I am envious. If I had known that this was a thing back when I was a college student, I'd have gone every single summer. That's for college students. This one's a little bit older, and it's a program called Journeyman. It's for those between the age of 21 and 30. After you graduate college, you go for two years around the world to places. A lot of them are, are, are places that maybe you've visited before. A lot of them are places where we will not be able to tell people you're there. We won't. If you go, we can't tell anybody you're there for your safety. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that cool? 
We will fund the whole thing. We, our network of churches, will fund the whole thing. I have this dream where every summer we send 100, at least 100 students on GenSend. And from them, there's this group of dozens of people that become journeymen. I have a dream where if you grow up at Second Baptist Church, you are expected, it's just common sense, that during the summers of college, you're going to go to Jensen. And then when you're done with college, you're going to go be a journeyman. I have that dream for our students. I have that dream for my own sons. I hope there's a day where they're journeymen. And I hope we will do that. Now, some of you are sitting there and going, I'm glad he said 30 because I'm way out. I don't have to go anywhere. All right. And you don't. All right. But if you go to this website, imv.org go. If you go to that website, there's a bunch of things you can do too. All right. It's all different ages. But here's the other part that we could play in that. We will pray for it. And hear me on this. We will pay for it. Do you understand what I'm saying here? If one of them stood up and said, I'll go, I'll go right now. Send me like 18. Every one of those cities are cool to go to. I will go right this minute, right this minute. Would the rest of us stand up and say, and I'll pay for it. You hold this side of the rope and I'll hold this side of the rope and you run out there, that sort of thing. Why? Because we are going and we are sending and we are being sent. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And I hope, I pray that one day we see that. I pray that one day, picture this with me, church. Picture this one day. One day there's a hundred students on this stage and we're praying over them and they're gone. They go for six or eight weeks and we get letters and pictures and they come back. They come back for school, that sort of stuff. And they do that again and again and again. And then there's dozens on this stage and we pray over them. And they're going, and they're gonna go for two years. If the Mormons can do it, and they're a cult, we can do it, all right? So I pray that you'll be a part of that. You are being sent. This is something that I always want to tell all of you. Every one of you, regardless of your age, you are not waiting on orders. You are disobeying a command. You've already been sent. So go. Now I know that I was saying, you go across the street, you go around the world. Sometimes you're just going to share the gospel with people that you know that are right there in your dorm or right there in your... Sometimes he's going to send you to a far off land. Remember? He sent me to Arkansas. So it happens, all right? He's going to send you to places. One evening I was doing, Jackie and I were doing uh, premarital counseling. I love premarital counseling. It's literally one of my favorite things to do uh, because they're so like optimistic and there's so much potential and they love one another, right? So I, I love it. I love them. And they'll come to our house and Jackie and I'll talk. One time Jackie and I got in a huge fight right before they were coming over. Like, this is going to be fun, you know? And so, um, so that's fun. And so they come into our house and, and we talk and stuff. One night uh, there was a couple at our house and there was a tornado warning, a tornado siren. Came up out of nowhere, right? I didn't even, we didn't even know that there was any sort of, like the sky was a little dark, but we didn't, I don't know. And so tornado siren goes off and, um, or watch or warning, whichever one it is. And uh, so we, we all kind of go like, oh, I guess we should seek shelter. You know, it's like, what do you do when people are at your house? And so we have this pantry. It's in the middle of our house under the stairs and uh, it's perfect. No windows, that sort of stuff. So uh, we start to go over there, but it's only big enough for my family and the two dogs, right? And believe me, I've tried to kick the dogs out of there. One time the siren went off and I ran to the door to let them outside. I was praying they were going to have like a Wizard of Oz experience and Jackie got mad, you know, and had to have to bring the dogs in. So we, we all get in there, you know, and, but there's not enough room. And so 
We have this other little closet in the garage. And I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll put them out there, right? And so I take that, and it's such a weird experience. Think about this. You've got somebody at your house, and my whole nature is protecting. I mean, literally, my middle name means protector. And I'm a pastor and a dad and a, and a husband. Everything about me is just, you've got to protect. And so I'm sticking this young couple in this closet, and I'm just going to shut the door and be like, I hope you don't get tornadoed, you know? And like... And, and I also hope if you don't, we don't, because that would be weird for you, you know? And I was just thinking about all these bad scenarios, you know? So I shut the door on them and I walk away, I take two steps away and then I remember like, I'm their pastor and they're not married yet. And I just put them in a closet, you know? <laughs> so like walking back there, hey, no hanky-panky in my house. Don't, don't touch her, all right? And so that kind of thing, you know? Let me add, nothing happened. It was, you know, nothing ever happens. It's, it's Arkansas weather. And so... But let me ask you this, how many of you are, or you are married to, the person whom, when there's a tornado sirens are going, they stand on the front porch? Anybody show your hands. How many of you are that person or you're married to that person? Yeah, yeah, it's like you're gonna like, what? Come on, let's go, tornado, you know, something like that. I'm that way. As soon as there's a tornado warning, I put it on the news so I can watch, and then I stand on the front porch, because I'm gonna, see, I don't know what we're thinking, but we do it, all right? You can't not, all right? It's what we do. I like watching. I like being a part of that, but I need the weatherman or lady. I need them to tell me it's coming, how far I've got, how bad it is. They have a perspective I can't see. They do that, and they're faithful in it, and they're good at it, but it's not on them if I'm standing on the front porch. That's on me. I'm not listening to the warning. It's very similar to what we're talking about in this. You are called to warn people. I have been called to warn you. I warned you. I have warned you. The question, two questions are, will you heed the warning and will you warn others? Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.